Chapter 19 Duane Pepperell was asleep in his bed, a state that was about to change if he did not stir soon. For with his rear sticking out as far as it was, the whole bed was dangerously close to tipping over. Yet even so, it was lucky he was sleeping in this position. Lucky for the rest of the household, that is. When Duane was on his back, he snored. Now this was not ordinary snoring, the kind that has disturbed most everyone's sleep at one time or another. This was snoring so deep and so resonant it could start rock slides. It was morning, but with the sky grey and overcast, only a slight glow filtered into the room through the oiled skin across the window. Last night's candle had burned down to its tray, the flame long since drowned by liquefied tallow. Outside, the rain fell in heavy drops, rap-tapping against the window skin, drumming a more deliberate beat whenever the wind picked up in strength. But it was not the pounding of the rain that woke him. It was the sound of something else, something more insistent, more urgent, that rose above the rain. And when he sat up, the sound was coming from somewhere within the house. This is odd, he thought, and at such an hour. He pulled on his braces, and when he opened his bedroom door, the sound grew louder still. It was then he realized someone was pounding on the front door. He lumbered down the hall, the cold floor nipping at the soles of his feet, and when he reached the top of the staircase, he found Standish, his manservant, waiting for him at the bottom, holding aloft a candle in one hand and a cudgel in the other. Duane descended, shaking the sleep from his head. Then, taking the cudgel, which was like a child's toy in his massive hands, the young lord approached the door. "'Who knocks in such a manner?' said the young man, annoyed. "'And at this hour?' "'Open up, you overgrown infant!' Duane turned to Standish, surprised. "'It's Niles.' Niles Willowbrook flew in at the head of a gust of wind that sprayed rain everywhere and snuffed out Standish's candle." Even in the dimness, Duane could see his friend was in an agitated state. Apart from being drenched, his clothes were torn and singed. His arms were smeared with oily pitch, and so was his face. Out of breath, Niles collapsed upon the stairs and leaned his head against the newel post. Drink. I need drink. Duane turned to Standish and bade him bring some water. No, something more bracing, insisted Niles. Hot wine. And lots of it. Bring enough for me as well, said Duane to Standish, who, after lighting the candle again, departed. What happened to you? asked Pepperell, though he was not very much concerned, for he had known Niles since childhood, and over the years his mouth had gotten him into trouble on many occasions. But when the young man began to weep, Duane was shocked and suddenly alarmed. What is it? What has happened? Niles took hold of himself almost at once, wiping away his tears with the back of his hand. For a moment he stared at the floor in silence. Duane made to inquire again, but before he could, Niles said in a tone that was almost incredulous, I watched my mother and father die last night along with the rest of my household. What? asked Duane, rocked. How is this so? The guards... They fell upon us. We we had no warning. Before we knew what was happening, they'd, they'd scaled the courtyard walls and had broken down the door. 
Gods? What gods? His gods! Niles' lips curled into a contemptuous sneer. Brian's! They wore his crest. Every last one of them. Brian's? But but that cannot be, said Dwayne, shocked. I tell you it's true. He's betrayed us, Dwayne. Now that he's king, he wants nothing more to do with us. I don't believe it. Not Brian. Niles glared at him, at once infuriated. Is that so? Well, know you this. They plundered my home and set fire to it. Then they took my parents put them up against a wall and executed them without so much as a charge. I managed somehow to break free and steal a horse. But before I was well enough away, I heard the guards laughing. Do you hear? Laughing! He paused, turning inward. I hear them still. But why would he do this? Asked Duane. Your family has always been loyal to his. Our fathers helped Armadon found the kingdom. They fought at Odenot's side. You are Brian's friend. Why would he hurt you this way? Oh, but God's man, haven't you been listening? Or is your head as dense as your ass? Dwayne would usually take exception to a remark like this, but he let it pass. It makes no sense, Niles. True, we argued with him and quit the court, but we've argued in the past, haven't we? When have you ever known Brian to hold a grudge or be unscrupulous or deceitful? It is just not like him to do this. Niles leaned quickly into his face. Nevertheless, my parents are dead and my home has been destroyed. Destroyed. He's changed, Dwayne. Can't you see that? Being king has gone to his head. He's drunk with power. I might have thought differently myself two days ago, but not now. Not after all I've witnessed. Dwayne sat for a moment, dazed and bewildered. The news, it was so horrific, so outrageous. Had anyone other than Niles brought it, he would have thrown the person out on his ear. Brian, a tyrant? It didn't seem possible. It didn't make sense. But before Dwayne could consider things further, a crossbow bolt punctured the skin covering an embrasure by the door. Lodging in the bottom step between the two young men. Perhaps now you'll believe me, said Niles, slapping the candle out of Dwayne's hand and leaping to his feet. There came a pounding at the door. Open, in the name of the king. At that same moment, Standish came rushing into the hallway. Master Duane, called the man urgently. There are men at the kitchen door. I, I tried to stop them. He said no more, for suddenly his chest rose and his head went back. He staggered, gazed at his master with a shocked expression, and fell to the floor with a crossbow bolt protruding from between his shoulders. Just then, soldiers entered the hall from the rear of the house, their swords drawn and ready to strike. Come on! shouted Niles, grabbing Dwayne by the arm and starting up the stairs. Though Dwayne followed along, he was unable to tear his eyes from his servant. This, this can't be happening, said the young man. Trust me, grunted Niles. It surely is. The soldiers opened the front door and were joined by more of their own. And, seeing the two young men upon the upper landing, they pursued. Dwayne, in a rage now, grabbed a heavy chair from the hallway, lifted it over his head, and, despite the crossbow bolts that whizzed by him, threw it down the stairs. The chair smashed into the leader and sent him tumbling backwards onto the men behind him, plugging the staircase with their broken bodies. This way, said Duane, already on the run. Niles raced down the hallway behind him, stopping short when he came upon two swords that hung ceremoniously upon the wall. Leave those, said Duane, grabbing hold of him and dragging him along. But why, asked Niles, still groping for them. Because, you ninny, they're affixed to the wall. Gaining Duane's room, they slammed 
slammed the door behind them. Then, using his brawn, Pepperell shoved his wardrobe across the floor until it was flush against the door. This should keep them out for a while, said Dwayne, grabbing his sword belt from inside. Niles looked about the room. And I'm the ninny? Now what do we do? Wait until they burn the house down around our heads? Don't be cheeky, retorted Dwayne, buckling his sword belt. I wouldn't have led us here if I didn't have a plan. There came a sudden pounding at the door and the shouts of men. Open up in the name of the, the king! The soldiers had reached them. Really? Said Niles snidely. Break it down! This is just a guess, but I think now would be a good time to implement it. Dwayne handed Niles a belt, tore the blankets from his bed, and tossed them to his friend. He hastened to the embrasure, a matter of two steps for a man his size, and, with the point of his dagger, punctured the oiled skin. Ripping it back, he exposed a stout tree limb just outside. This? This is your plan? Keep your voice down. The tree was old and had grown quite tall. Dwayne's father had planted it long before he was born. Shading a corner of the courtyard, its limbs stretched from the side of the manor house to the wall. Dwayne hastened along a stout branch until he reached the trunk. There he waited for Niles to catch up. Lovely, whispered Willowbrook, sounding both anxious and impatient. We've moved from room to tree. Say less and do more, said Dwayne, choosing another limb. This one led them to the wall, whereupon they jumped from the tree with nary a sound and landed solidly upon it. Ouch, said Willowbrook in a loud whisper. What are you complaining about now? Replied Dwayne, crouching low and moving along the width of the wall. Niles growled in his throat. Oh, I had no time to grab my boots. It was then Dwayne realized his own feet were bare. He was about to comment on it when he heard the tromping of horses' hooves rapidly approaching. Reacting at once, he grabbed Niles and held him fast as he jumped to the ground outside the compound. You could have warned me, said Niles, freeing himself of Dwayne's clutches. Does this mouthing of yours ever stop? Grumbled Pepperell, grabbing Niles a second time and dragging him along. They reached a copse of trees and had just tumbled into a thicket as mounted soldiers rode into sight and stationed themselves at regular intervals along the wall. Soon the gloomy break of day was made brighter by glowing flames, for though the rain still fell, the inside of the manor had been set on fire, and its dry timbers, wooden floors, and furnishings had caught at once. Duane lowered his head, no longer able to watch. It was the only home he had ever known. His parents' ashes were interred in the family vault, where he had always assumed he would be placed as well. But now, now he had nothing. He felt bewildered and adrift like a boat torn from its mooring and tossed upon a violent sea. Behind the glossy sheen of his tears, his eyes smoldered with indignation and outrage. At length the manor roof collapsed, and the soldiers formed ranks and departed. When the last of them had rounded a bend and was no longer in view, Dwayne and Niles left the safety of the thicket and returned to the house. They climbed the wall, staring in silence as the rain put out the flames. Dwayne shook his head in disbelief. How could Brian and do this, our lifelong friend. I'm sorry, responded Niles at last, but, but I told you, if it takes my whole life, even if it means forfeiting my life, I will learn the reason. Ah, come, said Willowbrook, lowering himself to the ground. Duane remained upon the wall, surveying the ruins. Where? Everything I had in the world was here. Dylan has to be warned. Pepperell looked at him, his brow furrowing. Dylan? Certainly. Don't you see the pattern? First my household is destroyed, then yours? It's obvious Dylan's will be next. He started off, then stopped to see if Duane was coming. He found him still upon the walls 
staring at his home. Dwayne, called Niles, his heart sad and heavy. Dwayne looked at him. We must go. They came upon a patch of rocky ground. After stepping on one or two sharp stones and wincing, or, in Niles' case, swearing oaths, it became apparent they were both in need of a decent pair of boots. So despite the danger, they started for a nearby village where Duane knew of a well-established cobbler. Now let me speak to him, said Pepperell once they had reached the man's shop. The people around these parts can be rather stunned offish. And, uh... And what? asked Niles simply. And that mouth of yours could get us into trouble. Huh. Niles was about to take exception to the remark when he realized Duane had a good point. Fine with me, but smile at least. Be congenial. Your size can be intimidating. And because he could not help himself, he added, especially that rear of yours. Don't start with me. I'm in a terrible mood right now. Duane entered the shop. But no matter how he implored, the cobbler was not willing to part with two of his best pair of boots just on credit, especially when the man asking for it wore naught but a ragged nightshirt and braces and was barefoot too. At length Duane sighed, then left defeated, joining Niles, who had found shelter from the rain beneath a large plush tree. Wait, don't tell me, said Willowbrook in a mocking tone. He gave you magic boots, invisible to the naked eye. No, of course not grumbled Duane as he stood in the rain. Niles sighed deeply and rose to his feet. Stay here. Where are you going? I've decided to tour the country with a comedic troupe. What do you mean, where am I going? To talk to the cobbler, of course. Niles reached for the dagger hanging from Duane's belt. What are you doing? Said Duane, slapping his hand away. Give me your dagger, insisted Niles. But when he reached for it, Duane slapped his hand again. I won't have you threatening the man. He has a right to be paid for his labors. I won't have to threaten him. Willowbrook, taking the dagger anyway and slipping it under his belt. I'm going to use my powers of reason on him. You'll see. I'll be back with the boots in no time at all. Niles entered the shop, grinning from ear to ear. Despite the fact he was sopping wet, with his hair plastered to his head and water dripping from his nose and chin. Good morrow to you, sir, he announced most congenially. And how fare you today? The cobbler, who had steely eyes, a pronounced forehead, and deep lines around his mouth, scowled at once. As you know, judging from your appearance, it is raining outside, and when it rains, it chases away my business. Therefore, at this moment, with you dripping on my floor, I am not faring very well. Ah, said Niles, undiscouraged. Perhaps I can improve your disposition. The cobbler's scowl remained unchanged. I doubt it. Niles' smile only lengthened. My friend was just here, seeking two pairs of boots. Yet he left with neither. Perhaps you could explain to me why that is so. The cobbler pursed his lips and stared at him from beneath his brow. Another lunatic, thought the man. What is happening to this country? Your friend had no money to pay for the boots. And if you also have none, you'd best join him and leave me to get on with my work. Ah, but sir, replied Niles cordially, we are off to Talklestone on urgent business. Time is of the essence and we cannot travel at the pace we must without boots. Good boots, the type of which line your shelves are plenty. If you, out of the goodness of your heart, could lend us just two pair, your kindness will be 
generously rewarded upon our return. By now, the cobbler was fast losing his patience. As I've already explained to your friend, I am not in the habit of giving away the efforts of my labors. But, sir, I'll hear nothing more on the subject of lending. You either pay for the boots now, or you be on your way. Were I to tell you that our mission is one of mercy, would that change your mind? Not even if you are a high priest for the gods, said the cobbler emphatically, instead of some short, annoying lunatic puddling on my floor. There were certain words Niles could not abide, perhaps because he had heard them far too often in his lifetime. One of them was short, the other annoying. Offended at once, Niles' temper flared, and with his blood rushing into his cheeks, he snatched the dagger from his belt. Look here, cobbler, I am not annoying. Irritating, perhaps, even exasperating at times, but never annoying. And mind you, you'll find my agility with this dagger more than compensates for my height. Now I've grown tired of this conversation. Give me the boots I want, or you'll wind up with my blade in your throat. The cobbler, vexed by the threat, replied, Yes, you are annoying. If I had my axe in hand, you'd wind up split in two, and mind you, it would be short work indeed. Niles bristled, truly insulted. But seeing that your axe is nowhere at hand, I'll take the largest boots you have and a pair that will fit me. He brandished the dagger. And be quick about it. I'm a desperate man, and one who would not hesitate to use this. The cobbler did as he was told, though not as quickly as Niles expected. When the boots were in his possession at last, Willowbrook backed his way to the door. Let this be a lesson to you in civility, if not charity. In the future, perhaps, you'll be more willing to help someone who asks for it. In the future, answered the cobbler seething, I'll have my axe closer to me. Niles slammed the door behind him. Ignoring the downpour, he sauntered around the corner of the shop and headed for the tree, where he found Duane sitting against the trunk, looking most glum. Tossing the larger of the two pair into his lap, Niles shrugged and said, I told you I'd get them. And so you have, replied Duane, amazed. I thought for certain you'd come back empty-handed. <laughs> well, in truth, I almost did. But then I let your dagger do the talking for me, and the cobbler quickly came around. Dwayne looked up at this. What do you mean? You said you wouldn't threaten the man. I know, I know, but he made me mad. You stole these boots. Niles grinned wickedly. Well, I suppose I did. Dwayne removed the pair from his feet and stood before his friend. Give me those. Uh-uh, sorry, big fellow. They fit perfectly. You'll have to make due with what you've got. We're not keeping them, insisted Dwayne, for he had never stolen anything in his entire life. Just the thought of it filled him with self-loathing. Niles paused and looked at him. What, are you balmy? Of course we're keeping them. I see. Said, let me have those boots. From Dwayne's expression, Niles could tell he was serious. Why are you getting so miffed? He attempted to make light of the situation. Didn't I steal a pair for you too? But this only made Dwayne angrier. No one makes a criminal of me, not even my best friend. Niles stared at him, incredulous. Lest you've somehow forgotten, we've just had our houses burned and our lives threatened by the king's guards. What do you think that makes us? His ambassadors? I may well be outside 
outside the law, but I can still be a man of principle. Oh, stop being ridiculous, said Niles, growing impatient. I said, give me those boots. Nothing made Niles more obstinate or inflexible than being told what to do, especially when he thought he was in the right. He stood and dug in his heels, literally. They're on my feet, and that's where... He paused, staring past Duane, whereupon, his curiosity aroused, Pepperell turned in the same direction. It was then he saw the cobbler, who had grown extremely irritated over the loss of his boots, and, with axe in hand, had come looking for the criminals. Ah, called Duane cordially, holding his boots aloft. I suppose you're looking for these. Yes, indeed I am, said the cobbler, a maniacal look on his face. But it's your heads I'm wanting first. See here, cobbler, said Nile. Niles, stepping in front of Duane with dagger in hand, you've still time to change your mind and save your life as well. But the cobbler was done talking. Instead, he rushed forward, growling deep in his throat as he raised the axe above his head. They could see he was deadly earnest and might even have been a threat except for one small detail. Apparently, he had not used the axe in a very long time, for in raising it as abruptly as he did, the axe's head flew off its handle and landed with a thud somewhere in the nearby brush. Cursing his luck, the man went to retrieve it. As he did so, Niles, seeing a perfect opportunity, grabbed the boots from Duane's hands and hurried off. Pepperill, however, stood his ground, still determined to make peace with the cobbler. Yes, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm hoping that we can discuss this. But when he heard the man exclaim, Ha! Ha ha! I found it! Prepare to have your head chopped off! He knew the cobbler was past reasoning with, and, expressing his apologies on the run, hurried off at top speed, eventually overtaking Niles. The sky ahead of them was darkening. Each gust of wind came with a cold spray in their faces. To their surprise, the cobbler had pursued for quite some time, but many hours had passed since they had heard his rantings. They decided to camp for the night and took shelter within a cluster of trees where the ground was mostly dry. Drenched, feeling miserable, Duane sat apart from his friend and avoided his eyes as he rubbed his aching feet. He had refused to wear his pair of boots, and he did not intend to change his mind. Stealing was wrong. That was what his parents had taught him, and he would not dishonor his parents or himself. Then there were the gods to consider. Did they not see everything? What would he say to Puritanicus, the god of honesty and fair play, when the time came to stand before him? The gods were not interested in excuses, especially Puritanicus. At length, Niles sat down beside him, and, in a patient tone, one quite rare for Niles, said, Look, Duane, I understand how you feel. It was wrong of me to steal the boots. Someday I will find a way to make amends with the cobbler. But keep in mind, we've a job to do. Dylan's life depends on our speed. We'll never reach Torkelstone in time if we can't travel quickly, and we can't travel quickly if you don't wear these boots. But the gods, insisted Duane, they judge us by our deeds. I had always hoped when my time came, I could go before them unblemished. You know how uncompromising Puritanicus can be. 
Niles considered for a moment. The gods were as much a part of his life as they were of Duane's, but Niles had never taken much time to consider what they thought of him. Well, perhaps Puritanicus will understand. Hmm, how so? said Duane in a moping sort of way. Well, think you on this. What is more important in the greater scheme of things, Dylan's life or a pair of boots? Duane saw Niles' point immediately. He knew exactly which of the two was more important. Dylan was not just a friend, he was family too, especially since Duane's parents had passed on. If truth be told, there was nothing he would not do for Dylan, or Niles, and before the events of the day, even Brian. There was no hardship he would not endure to protect them, no foe he would not best to see them safe. And what would he be without their friendship? He gazed at the branches above his head, but in his mind's eye he was really addressing the heavens. It seemed there were many levels of integrity, some less spotless than others, and the gods would simply have to accept that fact, even Puritanicus. Oh, very well, said Duane, tossing Niles a sober look, but I do this only for Dylan's sake. Is that plainly understood? Absolutely, affirmed Niles, and with that Duane put on the boots. Now Niles had never been the type to let matters settle without gloating a bit. It simply was not his nature. Still, when he did gloat, it never stemmed from arrogance or conceit, but rather from his irrepressible sense of humor. It had always served him well, sometimes in spite of himself, sometimes in the face of danger. A broad grin stretched across his face. Excellent. Now I can tell Dylan when I see him next, despite the differences in our sizes and weights, I managed to give you the boot. What do you say to that? Duane presented him with a baleful look. I say, shut your mouth or I'll plant my booted foot in it. Niles' smile sank a bit as he stretched out upon the ground. Well, that works too, after which he fell silent. And as he lay there beneath the trees, waiting for sleep to overtake him, his mind went back to the events of the day. So much of his life had changed. In just a handful of hours, he had gone from a knight of the realm to an outlaw and thief. Sadness overtook him. Perhaps if he had been less tired, it might have been more like rage. He sat up again and looked at Duane. This time, however, he spoke without his customary mirth. I'm glad you accepted the boots, because now I can wear mine without feeling guilty. And tomorrow... He paused, looking inward once again at the day's occurrences. Despite his loss... Despite his pain, a hint of his irrepressible nature returned to him, and he said, Tomorrow we can both make some decent tracks. What say you to that? <laughs> oh no, thought Niles. Not that. Duane was sleeping on his back. Uh -oh.